morning, everyone. Um, as Mike said, I'll be speaking today. It's my first time it's been mentioned already. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I'm a bit nervous. I'm torn between excited and being terrified. Uh, it's different than what I expected. And when Mike said, oh, would you like to do it? I was like, yeah, sure, why not? How hard could it be? And then last night, we, we just flew back from France. We've been away for the week. Uh, and we come back from the holiday. I was like, oof, right, okay. It's happening tomorrow. Can I take it back? <laughs> it's a bit too late now. Uh, but no, I'm excited, definitely. And it's a, it's a great, great, uh, great opportunity for me. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is David. Um, like Mike said, myself and Bea, we've been married for just over a year now, a year and three months. Yeah, my wonderful wife. Uh, we joined Kings in April, but I've been part of Kings before. We went and came back, so it's great to be here. Uh, yeah, so last week we heard from John uh, speaking from Matthew 8, and it was a great message. And today we're continuing our series on Matthew, and I'll, be, uh, I'll have the privilege to speak from Matthew 8 as well. Uh, we're continuing the, the series on that. Uh, we're diving into something real today. Uh, we're talking about our belief, our doubts, the whole roller coaster in between. So, pretty heavy stuff at times. Um, but I'm just great I have the chance to do it. So, let's just read the passage and then we'll, we'll start from there, shall we? So, Matthew 8, verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the sea, uh, to, to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the water swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping, and the disciples went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we are going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, and he was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Right. So, this is not exactly a large chunk of scripture, um, but personally, I believe that it still carries a lot of, of weight and information in there. Uh, and while I was preparing for today, I was thinking, okay, that happened then in that specific way, but is that still something for, for us? Like, can we apply it in our day-to-day -day life? Uh, so, this is something that we're going to explore this morning and try to, to get to the bottom of it. Uh, so, let us paint a, a, a picture first. Let's imagine the, the story a bit. So, we read in verse 18, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Now, what, what crowd are we talking about? So, we imagine we just had Jesus preaching in the mountain, and then he's coming down to Capernaum. And as we heard last week from John, he performed like a series of miracles. And naturally, people start to gather around, and there's this crowd forming, especially after his magnificent message. So, Jesus has a long day, we can imagine. So, from 
healing, to teaching, to preaching, cleansing lepers, crowds everywhere. He could not get a break. So naturally, at one point, he said, right, we need to get out of here because it's getting a bit chaotic. Let's cross over to the other side. But before he actually managed to leave, he gets interrupted by these two people in the crowd. And we read that the first one was a teacher, uh, a man of the law. He said, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, Jesus' reply is a bit odd. He starts saying, like, well, foxes have their dens, birds their nests. The son of man, referring to himself, has no place to lay his head. And then the second man says, Lord, let me bury my father first, and then I'll come to you. Uh, I'll come with you. And then Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. You just follow me. Like, what's all this about? I always had questions, and I found it difficult to understand the logic and the message behind Jesus' responses, because they're a bit enigmatic at times. Um, so to me, it always felt like he was trying to push people away. Like, oh, well, don't follow me, because the dead needs to bury their own dead, and, and things like that. It was, it was a bit odd. The thing is, Jesus had this divine sense of reading people, and he managed to see what's behind their, their ideas and what they were thinking at the time, things that other people would not be able to see. And he was able to consider multiple things at once. His response to the first man shows that following Jesus meant that you live a pretty dynamic and selfless way of life. And I believe that this first man that came, the teacher of the law, with commitments to his own synagogue, or we, we can understand that he was quite an important person in the community, he didn't consider all these aspects that he had to just go and leave it. So Jesus, through his response, tries to make him realize you need to consider all the aspects because this is something that could affect you more than you, you think. You know, when you, when you go to a concert or you, great, you hear a great musician like Mike and the band this morning, and then you go, you, you leave the place and you're so hyped and excited about the music itself. It's like, wow, I want to be on stage someday myself and perform shows and all that. You get home and you start Googling instruments and equipment. But then three weeks in, you find yourself, the passion already died out. And it's like the instrument stays there and you haven't practiced in like a month. Um, because you don't take into consideration the time and commitment to, it takes to practice, to put time aside, to get to a level where it's okay-ish, not even great, you know? Uh, and this follower was too excited and influenced by the buzz, the community, the, the atmosphere there, and he just wanted to jump in, like, oh, I'll go wherever, doesn't matter. Uh, and Jesus' response tries to like, calm him down and to make him realize about the, the commitment. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to be on fire. We read in Romans 12, 11, Never lack zeal, but keep your spiritual fever serving the Lord. But being able to consider all aspects and knowing how much you commit to that, how much you get involved in that ministry, would save you a lot of pain, burnout, and disappointment because you can't take it all at once. So Jesus was very wise in approaching this man this way, being we could say a bit blunt or abrupt with him, but trying to make him realize you need to slow down and take in what's happening, actually. After that episode, we see that there's another man 
And he says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus responds bluntly again, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So we're looking at the dead spiritual, bury their own dead physically. But it was a weird, it was a weird thing because for years I had this question, like what's, what's happening here? It's such an odd, odd thing to say to someone. Um, but contrary to what people believe when read this, it appears that the, the father that was mentioned was not dead yet. Um, so the man speaks about him staying at home until his father would pass away so he can deal with the family issue uh, himself. It was a thing that would align with the, the, the law that said, I have to honor your parents, and being involved in that would, uh, would be customary for them at the time. So it's not wrong to care for your family and to, to love your parents and to want to be involved in that. The problem here is that the man wanted to make Jesus wait for him to sort his problems before he committed to him. And Jesus didn't have that type of time. Like he had a pretty busy schedule, as we, we read earlier. Um, and that's why he deals with this issue, again, quite abruptly. Uh, so in this short passage, we see two types of followers. Two people that were with the crowd, wanting to be in the crowd and wanting to follow Jesus, but not quite. The first one, like I said, was too excited, ready to jump in, but without taking into consideration all the aspects that that would imply. Second person was not ready enough. So he was happy to join, but seeking a relationship with Jesus on his own terms, which is not a good starting point either. So I want to challenge you this morning to really think about this. Where are you in this crowd? Where do you find yourself? Are you going through the motions, and then every once in a while you find yourself like you're drifting away, your passion dies out, you're slowly fading away after a while? And then this makes you feel disappointed with yourself, or you feel like disappointed God, because you took too much on, and then you can't keep, keep up, because it's unwisely involvement, I like to call it, probably. Or are you finding yourself on the edge, you're ready, but you don't jump in yet? because not all your plans have been completed and you're waiting for that perfect time, which, truth be told, might not be a perfect time ever. So you're always waiting for the next step or for everything to align, and you lose your chance again and again and again of getting committed to it. Or are you in the third group, the group that actually gets on the boat with Jesus? And we know it's his disciples and probably some other people. So he finally gets on the boat, with his disciples, heading towards the region of the gatherings. And we read in the second part of the passage is the episode with the calming of the sea. And he's crossing this sea, the infamous Sea of Galilee, uh, that is this massive, vast, crazy ocean with weird weather, crazy sea monsters and dragons and... No, it's not that, sorry, wrong book. Uh, let me find, uh, right, so, <laughs> despite the name, it's not a sea at all, it's just a decent sized lake. So this sea, I have some st uh, statistics here, so it measures approximately 13 miles in length, that's close to 20 kilometers for my European friends here, 
and 7.5 miles width. That's about 10 kilometers, still for my European friends here. Basically, if the conditions are right, you can just see on the other side, it's not that big of a, it's like, so the journey that Jesus took to get to the region of the gatherings probably would have took about two hours or so. Not a long journey. So Jesus is heading towards the destination in this boat. Now, we don't really have any description of the boat. It just says boat. But looking into it on historical, what the region was like, type of location, we could assume it was probably a big fishing boat that could keep at least 12 people because it was with his disciples, but 12 or, or more people on, on board, just a medium-sized boat. And here we get another glimpse into Jesus' humanity because we read that he went and he fell asleep. Um, we can imagine he had quite an intense chain of interactions, miracles to perform, people asking questions, teaching for days now. So he must have been quite tired. I, I really think, I like to think that whenever he got quiet, he hit the pillow quite fast, you know? Um, so I usually fell asleep instantly. On average, it takes me 9 to 16 seconds. I amaze myself sometimes, like, just, and that, that's pretty much it. Uh, so this is very relatable to me. And like myself or probably everyone in the room, Jesus got tired, so he needed to rest. And I like that this is mentioned because Jesus was sleeping, because it shows how human he was, and he got tired, and he had his uh, natural needs. Now, this lake has an interesting geographical location. It's in a low valley surrounded by mountains and hills. And these factors influence a lot of science stuff that I won't really get into, because it's not a place or time. Uh, but these factors make the sea um, very unstable, and it's subject to sudden crazy storms, which is historic accurate. Um, sometimes the waves can get to 10, 10 uh, feet height. That's three meters for my European friends. Um, and that's where uh, the changes... Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, so what are the chances that Jesus and his disciples are caught in one of these? Coincidence? I think not. But they're waving, they're going slowly through the waters, the wind behind them, and then the weather changes. Wind starts to blow, waves tossing the boat from one side to another, water splashing everywhere. And then the, the, the disciples, they, they start to panic. We can see that they, they get quite shaken by this. Now, these were fishermen. They would fish on the sea, on a daily basis. And yet, this was something that was out of their capacity to overcome. So they lose it completely. It's total chaos. I can imagine these natural forces being quite loud and, and scary. Everyone is panicking, shouting, losing hope. The disciples really believe that they will drown and die. You can see that in their statement later on. There is one odd thing in, all, in, in this picture, though. Jesus is still asleep. So that shows me two things. One, boy, he was tired because he could sleep through the whole thing. And two, he was very anchored in his divine uh, nature and completely secure. And he knew that as long as he's on the boat, nothing will happen to the vessel. 
because he's in the care of, of his father in heaven. But the disciples have a completely different experience. So they go and they wake him up. They say, like, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Now, I looked at this statement, and it, it seemed interesting, because the first part of the statement, Lord, save us, shows that they had faith, and they went to Jesus with the reason. They, they believed that he can do something about it. But then the other part shows how desperate they are, because they were seeing their lives flashing before their eyes. Now, Jesus wakes up and rebukes the wind and the waves, but not before rebukes the, he rebukes his disciples for having a lack of faith, which is an interesting order. You would think, like, if everything's so messy, you were like, oh, stop that, and then have a one-to-one -one with his disciples. But it's the other way around, which, yeah, it's, it's interesting how Jesus prioritized making them aware of their state before removing the distractions. Jesus commanding the sea and the weather is proof that he was God. Like, throughout the history, only God managed to, to command the natural environments. We read in Job 38, verses 8 to 11, Who shut up the sea behind doors when he burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, This far you may come and no further, here is where your proud waves hold. So that's a picture of, of God having control over the, over the environment and the, the, the natural forces. And what Jesus commanded, it happened. Just like that, he says, it was complete calm, stillness. A big contrast between what it is now and how it was probably moments ago. In the end, we read that the men were amazed and asked themselves, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Which is strange because the disciples went and they asked him, oh, do something. And then Jesus does. And then they're like, oh, we actually did something. It's like they didn't believe he could do anything like that. What I believe happened is that they had an expectation of Jesus. But through his miracle he per that he performed, it completely exceeded anything that they could possibly believe in or had an idea of what, what Jesus could do. This is an amazing story to read. The Bible is full of stories and examples that sometimes are like, interesting to just read. Uh, you have the so-called Sunday school stories, isn't it? And it's can, it, it can be easy to treat them as such. And it's easy to forget the power and the gravitas that lies in those stories and the words that are written. But a lot of the times, these have a clear, uh, it's a difficult word, correlation, is that right? In our, today's, in the, in our world today, um, sometimes you can read something and it pierces right through the thoughts you have at that moment. Even though the things happened thousands of years ago, you're like, oh, that makes sense now because I can apply it to this and that. So what does it mean for us today? Okay, that happened then, but is it still relevant for us? Spoiler alert, yes, it is. You may see, you see, at some point, no matter the age, no matter the background, family, education, we all hit a rough storm at one point or another. And these storms, like every person has its own experience, and every person responds or gets affected by these storms 
from person to person. But I can bet that everyone in this room experienced where you sailing away into the sunset, the wind behind you, and then all of a sudden, bam, you get a storm. So some storms are worse than others. Uh, the first one, the most recent one that came to mind, personally, is when I lost my job about a year ago, just about over a year. Uh, I was made redundant. I was working at this company that was struggling at the time, and then they gave me an ultimatum. They said, oh, David, you either take this role that will affect your church, social, and family life, or you're out, because we can't afford keeping you. Um, and I was like, whoa, okay, that's, that's crazy. So I can come now and say, well, of course, I, it was an easy choice, because if it interferes with my church and family, I wouldn't even take the job. I'm just out sailing again into the sunset. The problem is, it wasn't like that at all. So I was newly married. Yeah, we were a family together for about a month and a half, two months, when I got the news. So automatically, I started worrying about, oh, I have bills, money. How will I take the news? Start feeling, well, I'm a disappointment. All these things started piling up. I remember I called Mike that day, and uh, he prayed for me, and, and yeah, we had a chat about it. And I, was, I remember I was like, I was crying, I had these like thoughts, and I was literally drowning in my own like bad experience. I mean, moving countries, it's quite a rough storm. How many of you here, and I experienced that myself, had to leave everything you know and then just go from the place where you've been. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's a hard experience. Like everything you know changes from the language, the people, the culture, the places. It's a storm that changes the landscape around you completely. And there's so many other things that people experience that can't even compare to, to what I just mentioned. And this stuff that hits heavy and has like roots deep into your being for many years after. But looking back, I want to challenge you to think how many times you saw God at work in those storms. Like how many times, by the end of it, you've been cared for in a miraculous way. Even though the outcomes maybe are not the ones that you expected, and things didn't turn out the way your miracle would have looked like the same way the disciples thought, well, Jesus might do one thing and then he did a different thing. But how many times God's faithfulness outweighed the storm you were in at that time? Personally, I, I have experienced some pretty cool stuff in my 20 years on this planet. I, I saw new clothes appear in my wardrobe when I needed a specific attire out of nowhere with a tag on because we didn't have the resources to afford those clothes. Um, I saw my best friend going from a tall, he'll, he won't hate me for this, but going from a tall loser and a problem teenager to experiencing Jesus and having his life turn around completely. Now, that's a miracle that changes your eternity. I saw my parents having a specific financial need countless times and then just finding money on the floor or someone giving the, 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 the gift totally randomly, with that specific sum, you know, feeling inexplicably peace when 
you probably shouldn't be able to experience that. Or receiving a, a random word of encouragement that really makes the difference from someone. We can see that if we really think about it, time and time and time again, God provided us through people or through extra phenomenal circumstances. God was our provider. So then why is it so hard that every time another rough spot comes, we fall in in the same pattern? No matter the experiences you had in the past, how great your history with God is, sometimes you just feel yourself that you have doubts again, fear, panic, worries. I mean, Jesus, we heard last week from John, he performed multiple miracles almostly at the same time, just one after the other. Fast forward a few hours, and his disciples are completely hopeless, and, you know, they're just, well, are we going to die now? Yes, we are. I would say that as creatures, part of the creation, we tend to forget things. I'm the worst at this. Like, I can be told the same information countless times. And then if I hear it from a different person or in a different context, I'm like, whoa, that's the first time I'm hearing that. What a fresh revelation. And it drives Bea mad because she's always like, well, I told you that countless times before. They never listen to me. You have to hear it from this person or the other person. So I can relate to that. But many times our faith is connected to our capacity to remember God's faithfulness in the past. When we remember that God has been in control and present in our lives, even through the rough times, will be, we will be much faster at going back to that in the future, and having greater expectations and believing that He is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. So, <clears throat> all the history we can build with Him, all the experiences, the fellowship, the miraculous interventions will shape our faith and expectations in the future and will make us more secure in His promises. This doesn't come necessarily natural. and It's a hard thing to do because we tend to take things for granted. Um, so I want to encourage you to be, to be intentional in remembering those things. I know sometimes life is busy, and it's hard to find that time and space to actually put this into practice. But I believe that printing the good times on our heart and keeping a record of the blessings on a daily basis is the key to actually being more desirable in what God has for us in the future. And then when the storm is here, and it stares at you, stares you in the face, you will know they have God to back you up because He did it in the past, so He can't do it in the future as well. <clears throat> this doesn't necessarily mean that God will make things go away all the time. I, I, I read a bit about it, and I realized that there's another context that happens on the sea during a storm where miraculous things happen. I won't go too much into it, but we see that Jesus performs a miracle during a storm at sea. But he doesn't take the storm away. And because of that, things start to sink 
rather fast, if you know what I'm referring to. It's like when Peter walks on the water. But I'll spoil that. Um, so the storms in our lives, they can be very distracting and frustrating and scary. The important part is that we are able to fix our eyes in the right direction and to be able to have that assurance that God will be with us through it again. Even though the outcome is different, God works for the people, for the better of the people that believe in him. I believe that a strong relationship with God, the same that Jesus had, that secure, uh, secure belief that the, sh the vessel will be all right with him on board. I believe that it's something that we should be able to strive for in our day-to-day -day life. That God is holding us. It's not by our own power. And well, if I do this thing right, and that thing right, and that thing right, um, the storm will go away. No, but in that storm, God will be able to provide and to take us through, because that makes him more miraculous. So the only constant that we can count on is God. And I want to try and make you realize that no matter the season, no matter the, the context, people will go away, people will panic, people will lose hope. But the only one that we can rely on fully is, is God. So I want to encourage you again to take a moment and meditate. Where are you on that, in, in that relationship with God? Where are you in, in how you approach things? Are you going full on and then you find yourself fading away? Are you trying to commit but not so much? And then you're trying to have a relationship with Jesus on your own terms. I believe it's important to know where we are to be able to progress where we want to be. And I want to encourage you to start this daily habit of think, uh, thanking God and thinking about the small things and the big things as well. And being committed to remember. <laughs>